Our series this summer is The Comeback. We're, we're searching God's Word to see what it looks like to come back from life's knockdowns, slip downs, and failures. And we've already learned that, that our God is the God of the comeback and that, that Jesus is the King of the comeback. And because of Jesus Christ, regardless of how you have fallen or how you failed, regardless of how you've been knocked down, a comeback is possible. Uh, whatever setback you may have suffered, with God, that setback can be turned into a setup for something better. And the good news of the gospel is that sinners like you and me, people who've messed up, who've done wrong, who, people who have violated God's commands and have broken our relationship with our Creator, we can come back to God and even have the promise of heaven. I mean, there's no more significant comeback than, than a sinner being restored to a relationship with God. But, but not only does God offer forgiveness and the promise of heaven, he, offer, he also offers opportunity for an abundant life now by living the life of a disciple of Jesus. Which means your marriage can have a comeback. Your family can have a comeback. Your career can have a comeback. Your church can have a comeback. You might feel like you've fallen too far, that, that, that God may be done with you, but it's not true. God promises, and, 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 and in His promises, he, he invites you to experience a comeback from whatever has knocked you down in life. The clip I just showed you is from the movie Unbroken. It's the true life story of Louis Zamperini, who had a comeback moment during the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. Uh, Louis' life um, had many comebacks. And I wanted to show you that scene because it's, a, it's kind of an inspirational picture of today's message. Um, today we're going to look at what it means to run for a comeback. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and let's learn from God's Word a lesson for a comeback. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, when you study the Bible, a good habit to have um, is that whenever you see the word therefore... Go back and find out why that therefore, or what that therefore is therefore, right? Um, it, it's, it beckons you back to, to read the, uh, the chapter before. It's, it's basically saying it's like this truth that God's about to give you is here as the result of the truth that was previously spoken. So there it is in Hebrews chapter 12. We say, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Look back at chapter 11. And when you read chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, you find a list of people, all right? Um, heroes of the Old Testament. These are people who, because they believed in God and in the promises of God, they went on to do extraordinary things. People who lived at different times, in different places, under different circumstances, but they all had one thing in common. They had faith in God. And because of their faith, they did great things. 
They overcame great obstacles. They, they experienced great victories. They, they lived great lives. And the Bible calls all these people a great cloud of witnesses. People who can testify that God is the God of the comeback. That, that simple, broken people can be empowered by a great God. They, they can testify that God did great things with them. Ordinary people with, with fears and flaws and failures. And, and that if God can use them, if God can give them a comeback, then certainly God can do the same for you today. That, that with God, not only is a comeback possible, but if you really trust him, if you have faith, that comeback is plausible. And because there is such a great cloud of witnesses, uh, a response from you and I is reasonable. And, and that is the first step to a comeback. Is you have to believe. You have to have faith. Faith is the first step. If you don't believe that God can help you, then you will remain stuck in your unbelief. If you don't believe God will help you, then your comeback will be finished before it starts. And, and, and this, this verse is given to us. It's as though God has seen you uh, be knocked. He's seen you get knocked down in life. And now he stands tall over you, reaching his hand down to help you, to lift you up, to restore. But you have to respond. Some people believe in the greatness of God and they respond by reaching up and taking his hands. Others, for whatever reason, they don't believe a comeback is possible. And they reject God's offer. Your first step to a comeback is to believe. To trust in the promises of God, to trust in the ways of God, to trust in the sovereignty of God, the love of God, to faith in God. And if you have faith that God's ways will lead you to a comeback, then there are three faith responses that will bring your comeback to a reality. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, your comeback is going to be a race of endurance. We all would, we would love if our comebacks would just be quick and easy. Instant gratification. Just decide you want it and all your problems are over. That's what we would prefer, but that's not reality. And that's not that's not what the Bible calls us to. That's why the Bible says run with endurance. Your comeback won't be a short sprint. It's not a 10 second run and then glory. It's probably more like a marathon. And since it's an endurance run, it just makes sense to get rid of unnecessary weights. Now, I brought something from my uh, garage here. You ever seen these things? Make use of them. These are uh, ankle weights. They take ordinary movements and uh, make it a little more complicated. It uh, puts about 10 extra pounds on each leg here. And um, I mean, if I were to continue with these, I would be made stronger. But if I'm going to run a long distance... These are going to weigh me down. They're going to slow my pace. They're going to tire me out. 
If you've ever worn these things, it makes normal movements more difficult. And I learned this because I used to go run laps around my neighborhood wearing these. If you run with ankle weights for a distance, it starts to do damage to your knees. So here the Bible says, there's this great cloud of witnesses that all say God can use you. God can can change things. There's a comeback for you. And it's a and it's a long distance race to come back. So since you've got a long ways to go, why don't you get rid of the things that are going to slow you down, hold you back and even do damage on your journey? Because we're surrounded by such a great cloud, let us throw off everything that hinders the NIV puts it like that. One says weights, one says hindrances. All right. All right. When I was in high school, I ran both cross country and track and uh, I hated the running uniform. Did any of y'all run track cross country? Did y'all ever did y'all, show, them, show them the picture of this uh, cross country uniform? Look at that there. I hated that. Those shorts hardly covered anything. I mean, they, they just, they hardly covered anything. And then they had this slit that comes up all the way to the side. Like, you just, you just forget dignity, all right? Just forget it. And then those races were always in the morning, all right, when it was cold. I wanted to run in sweatpants to keep me warm. But instead, they gave me those flimsy, thin little things that covered nothing. Do you know why? Because serious runners will throw off everything that hinders even an extra inch of shorts. See, there are things in our lives that are not bad. They're not sinful. They're not wrong. But to be honest, they hold us back. They weigh us down from finding God's plan in our lives. And, and what we ought to do, it would be better for our comebacks if we would lay aside the weight, if we would cast off these things that hinder Velcro's complicated. Things that hinder, things that hold us back from, from finding God's plan for our lives. Like busyness. It's not wrong or sinful to stay busy and active. To work hard, to be occupied. But you know, one of the first lessons I learned when I started following Jesus... And it taught, they taught it to me and it stayed with me. They told me if the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. If the devil can't cause you to, to, to be evil, to play for his team, then, then he's going to distract you and keep you from playing on God's team. So, so, so we work too many hours. It's not a sin. It, it actually brings about some good. But it causes us to miss out on what's best. There are a thousand good things that will prevent you from pursuing what is best. The devil can't make you bad. He'll make you busy. How about amusement? It's not wrong to relax, to take a load off. It's not wrong to play a game on your phone or to scroll social media. It's not wrong to binge watch a season of the Beverly Hillbillies.
But it certainly can hinder you or weigh you down from pursuing God's best in your life. Sometimes your comeback will be hindered by certain relationships in your life. People who are negative, people who, uh, who don't support or encourage you to walk with God. It's not wrong to have friends, but if you really want the things of God in your life, if you're honest, these folks, they weigh you down. If you really believe that God has a plan for you, that God has a comeback for you, then, then why not go after what's best and give it all you got? Get rid of the unnecessary weights. Get rid of the good things that hinder you. But good things are not our biggest problem. In a comeback. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The NIV puts it like this. uh, Let us throw away everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. Our biggest problem, our biggest problems are not good things that hinder. Our biggest problem is sin. Hindrances and unnecessary weights are much easier to lay aside. Sin, however, clings closely, is what the Bible says. It tangles you up. You know, virtually every adult alcoholic discovered alcohol during their teenage years. Did you know that the human brain is not fully formed until about the age of 25? What happens during those formative years of the brain If you introduce chemicals like alcohol or drugs while your brain is still forming, you hardwire an unnatural function and pattern into your brain. So it plays out like this. During the stress of adolescence, you've taught your brain that the way you deal with stress is you have to take the edge off with alcohol. And the sin from your teenage years clings to you. So that now as an adult, anytime you feel stress or you just want to feel better, you crave a chemical. Pornography works the same way. What started out as curiosity became excitement. And that pattern hardwired in your brain. Now whenever you want excitement, you sneak around to get your fix. And men will trade the excitement of real intimacy for false intimacy on a computer screen. You know, we're learning that social media has addictive qualities as well. People will post a selfie or they'll share an opinion or, and, and then they're going to get a like or a comment. It's a form of validation. Now that social media has been a part of our lives for 15 years or more, um, we're seeing young adults who are addicted to their phones. And rather than seeking validation and connection with a real person, they take another selfie and make another comment. I mean, I've watched a group of young people sitting around a table together, not talking to each other, not communicating with each other. Everybody's on their phone messaging. I even think some of them are texting the person sitting right next to them. Sin clings to you like tar. It entangles and it snares. God may be leading you to a comeback, but you won't. It won't become a reality so long as you let sin cling to you. Worse yet, you cling to it. See, God wants your marriage to have a comeback. You want your marriage to have a comeback. But you're tangled up in sin and you can't move forward. And you have to choose. 
Do you want God's comeback or do you want your sin? Most people try to have both, but one prevents the other. Sin and God don't mix. God loves us sinners. God will welcome a sinner. What he won't do is welcome the very thing that is hurting you. God will not welcome your sin. He will not welcome your pride. He will gladly take you, but not your pride. He will, he will, he will not welcome your envy. He'll, he will gladly receive you, but not your envy. He wants nothing to do with your unforgiveness. He wants everything to do with you. But you can leave your unforgiveness behind. And he will let you do laps around the same mistakes over and over again until you decide you want him more than your sin. And here's the thing about God. He's got all the time in the world. He can wait you and I out. He created time. He'll let you do laps around the same mistakes over and over again until you want him more than you want your sin. We all want to make like sin's no big deal, but it's a trap. And it will destroy you. You know, you know how an Eskimo kills a wolf? It's actually quite gruesome. Uh, an Eskimo will take a knife. Show the picture up there for me. An Eskimo will take a knife and will coat it in blood. And he'll let that blood freeze on the blade. Then he'll coat it again, then again and again. And once the blade is covered in frozen blood, the Eskimo will bury the handle in the snow with the blade sticking up and leave it there. Eventually, a wolf will smell the blood and come investigate. The wolf will lick the knife, and it tastes good. The wolf licks it again and again. Each time, it melts a little more and more, and it tastes better and better. The wolf gets to enjoying the taste of blood so much that the wolf doesn't notice when the blade of the knife cuts its own tongue. And the, and as the lust for blood... Uh, as that lust for blood takes over, the wolf is unable to tell the difference from his own blood and the blood that was originally placed on the blade. And when that blood lust finally consumes the wolf, he'll start to bite the blade and eventually the wolf will die of blood loss. That's how Satan destroys us with sin. Your first taste is nothing but enjoyment. No consequences. You think, oh, my, my parents are wrong. The preacher was wrong. The Bible was wrong. It was okay. I did it and I'm fine. That wasn't so bad. But it's a trap. And if you keep indulging in your sin. It is meant to consume you. And it always does. Some of you are here today. Seeking a comeback from your sin. And I've got good news from you, for you. There is a comeback. If you believe that God loves you, if you believe that God has a comeback for you, then then let's get moving. Let's get running. Let's lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run. Run to God. Follow the way. Run the narrow path which leads to life. Y'all remember that clip I started the message with? There's more to that story. So I want to share it with you. If you play this little bit for us. I shouldn't have even been in the Olympics. 
I was still just a high school graduate, and I thought the Olympics was too far out of my reach. Thank God for my brother, who coached me, told me what to do. Come here. Louie, a moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. You remember that? His story of reaching the Olympics is really quite extraordinary. He was the youngest distance runner to ever make the U.S. Olympic team. And he had never competed at this distance at the 5,000 meters. Louis was a depression child, and he was a poor kid. He had eaten in a restaurant, I believe, once in his life before the Olympics. And he got on the USS Manhattan, which was taking the U.S. Olympic team to Berlin. And they were feeding him anything they wanted all day long. And all Louis could think of doing was eating. great runners were out in front. I couldn't keep up the pace because I gained 14 pounds on the boat eating all that free food. They were 50 yards ahead of me, but I thought, God, I'm way behind. The last lap came, and I remembered my brother telling me that one minute of pain was worth a lifetime of glory. So I took off, sprinted the whole last quarter. The entire stadium, everybody jumped to their feet. What I love so much about the story is that he just pushed himself so hard and he refused to fail. What made people stand up was to see somebody fight. It wasn't about winning. It was about seeing somebody try really hard and not give up. It's a great, great message. So I came in eighth, but the coach timed my last lap. My last quarter was 56 seconds, and they still talk about it. That's one thing you learn in sports that's good for you is you don't give up. Uh, you fight to the finish. That's good. Previous record before he ran that lap was 69 seconds. He ran it in 56. Something. So do you believe God loves you? Do you believe that God's got to come back for you, for your family, for this church? Do you believe that God can give a comeback to your neighbor or to that lost soul you work with? With God's help, are you willing to try really hard? If so, then, then this is the most important part of a comeback that you need to know. Let me read the whole passage to you. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. See, Jesus has to be your focus. He's the one you must look to. He's the one that you set your eyes upon. He's the founder. He's the perfecter of your faith. I mean, I wish this wasn't the case, but people will get off to a good start on a comeback and never complete it because they take their eyes off of Jesus. I mean, they start with Jesus and then in their self-righteousness, they veer off course. Because of Jesus, they take steps to lay aside every weight. Because of Jesus, they say no to sin. And, and that's quite an accomplishment. And what happens is people will start feeling good about what they did. And they'll start to look to themselves to become the perfecter of their faith. Thinking, if I can do the hard things of getting rid of sin and hindrances out of my life and make the effort to run, then then, then finishing the race is up to me. 
I'll it'll be by my effort. It'll be and I will be the perfecter of my faith. Do you know self-righteousness is just the other side of the flesh? If you starve your flesh of worldly things, do you know your flesh can survive quite well on pride? You might not feed your flesh carnal things like drunkenness and immorality, but it can live on pride. C.S. Lewis identifies pride as the most dangerous sin, and in his book, Mere Christianity, he writes this. He says, pride can often be used to beat down simpler vices. Teachers, in fact, often appeal to a boy's pride, or as they call it, his self-respect, to make him behave decently. Many a man has overcome cowardice or lust or ill temper by learning to think that, they are, that those things are beneath his dignity. That is, by pride. The devil laughs. He is perfectly content to see you become chaste and brave and self-controlled, provided all the time he's setting you up in the dictatorship of pride just as he would be quite content to see chillblains cured if he's allowed in return to give you cancer. For pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. See, the devil is more than happy to let you have victory over sin so long as he can trap you with pride. He knows the scriptures say that God opposes the proud it gives grace to them. If he can get a man to indulge in pride, he knows the comeback is over because God opposes the proud. C.S. Lewis also writes in that same chapter, he says, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So the Bible tells us, if we're going to run this race, and of course... If we're going to run this race, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see what's above. If you're going to run this race, you stop looking down. You've got to set your your sights higher. Look to Jesus. We set our sights constantly on Jesus. Some of you are missing out on God's comeback because you glance at Jesus And then you spend the rest of the week looking around at all the things that are wrong. You you come to church on Sunday and you glance at Jesus and then you spend the rest of the week looking at what Trump did or what the liberals said or what's going on in the environment or in the economy. Look at all the moral decay. Look at all the depravity. We're looking at everything but the author and perfecter of our faith and it slows us down It keeps us from experiencing that comeback. The Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. I mean, congratulations. You found something wrong and broken in a broken world. Seven billion things, seven billion people are broken and messed up, and you can point it out to somebody. Good deal. You must be so smart. Bible says if you want to finish your race you want to finish your comeback then you look to Jesus the problems in this world they're not going to help you get where God is leading you nor are those problems going to be able to stop our God you need to know that 
So fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the founder, the perfecter of our faith. And if you can do that, then God can give you a comeback from anything. And if not, you and your pride will stay angry, will stay bitter, and you'll stay small. And God will let you do laps around that. God opposes the proud. You know what he does to the humble? He gives grace. You may have come in here today tangled up in sin. You may have come in here today with good things that are just hindering you. You may have come in here today consumed with your own pride. But our God, the God of the comeback, is ready, willing, and able to restore you. You just have to be humble. Say, God, you're right. I'm not. God, your ways work. My ways fall short. God, thank you for the good things. You're what I need. Let me ask you. In your life. Who do you trust for salvation? What is the remedy for the sin in your life? Is it your own effort? Is it your own goodness, your own righteousness? You don't have enough. You need to set your eyes on Jesus. Trust in Jesus for salvation. Ask Jesus to come into your life and cleanse you from all that unrighteousness and put his righteousness in you. Cover you with his righteousness is what the Bible says. Salvation doesn't come because of what you do. It comes because we trust in what he did. So when it comes to salvation, who do you trust? You? Your church? A religion? Do you trust in the Son of God? You can do that today. When it comes to the, 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 the scriptural word is sanctification. It means the process where you are becoming less like you and more like Jesus Christ. It's where God is making you. He loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And he's going to make you better. Who do you trust in that? Who's the perfecter of your faith? Are you looking to you? Are you looking... If you're looking anywhere but Jesus, you're not going to get there. He's the author. He's the founder. He's the perfecter of our faith. So I want to invite my musicians to come back up and begin to play. And we're going to sing a song about the grace of God. And maybe today's a good day that you can lay aside these things that are hindering you. The sins that have got you tangled up. And even that pride that holds you back. And just let God's grace overwhelm you. The song's called Like an Avalanche, and it's a beautiful picture where it's like, I can't stop the grace of God. I can't stop the love of God. But I can let it overwhelm me. Why don't you let that happen today? I'm going to stay up front today.
And as they sing, I invite you to come. Let me pray with you and pray over you. Have an honest moment with God. Share it with a pastor who cares for you and loves you. You might be sitting there thinking, what people are going to think if I, if I came up front? My pride's worried about that. You know, I don't know what other people would think, but I'll tell you what I think. I think somebody's getting free. That's a good thing. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. He is our answer. He is our, our need every step of the way. He is the beginning of salvation, and he is the power throughout the entire process. Forgive us, God, of our pride. It really fuels every sin that we cling to. Thank you that Jesus is greater. And Father, in these next moments, wash over us with your grace. Restore us and build us up. Give us that comeback story that you've written for us. And may others see it and hunger for you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.